G'day Footyology listeners, Roko here. Enjoy our podcast? Well, you can become an official Footyology podcast supporter simply by using the supporter feature through ACAST. There's no subscription or regular commitment, just the sheer satisfaction that comes with knowing you've kept the debt collectors from our door. No, just kidding. It does help though. If you want to get started, you just need to follow the support this show link in the show description. Thanks again. And now let's get on with it. Welcome to the Footyology Podcast with Rowan Connolly and Mark Fine. G'day everyone, welcome to the Footyology Podcast pre-season edition. Won't have to say that too much longer because the men's action is about to start in earnest. We've had practice games already. We've got the one and only round of the pre-season series coming up. Of course, AFLW in full swing and they're gearing up for what should be a fantastic final series. As I say, a very good evening on what could be a very interesting episode of the Footyology podcast to my co-host, Mark Fine. How are you going, Fine? Well, I'm well. I guess I'm coming to terms with what it would be like to live in Singapore. Very steamy at the moment, isn't it, in Melbourne? And I'll say this much. I'm looking forward to the footy season because Gil has promised us magnificent scoreboards. So what better reason to go to the football than Gil's new scoreboards? Yeah, I've got to say, I've been out of the loop a little bit the last few days for a couple of reasons. Um, I saw some reference to sexy scoreboards. What's that about? Well, maybe, just maybe, they're going to be showing adult movies before the game as a curtain raiser because I don't know what a sexy scoreboard is otherwise. Your hero, your, your Jamie Cripps lookalike might appear. But that is a, a serious question. What actually is the story about scoreboards? I said, I've been out of the loop. Tell me. Well, they're the scoreboards that have been used at the American Super Bowls. They sort of suspend in midair from either end of the ground. I don't know exactly whether or not football needs scoreboards hovering above full forwards, but yeah, something along those lines, Roman. Is there any danger of us ever throwing off our cultural cringe so that every single year's Super Bowl doesn't become the launching pad for a thousand and one stupid ideas for the AFL? Like, is there any chance? No. Uh, hey, as long as Hutchie's offering free junkets to everybody and anybody to get a seat at the Super Bowl, that'll be the de rigueur. You know what? I hope he does hear this. So Hutchie desperately needs a lesson in European culture. He's so obsessed with the US. Mate, get on a plane, go and visit Europe, visit some of the most fascinating and oldest cultures in the history of the world. Get an education, mate. It's not all about the US. Anyway, uh, I digress because this is a very special episode of the Footyology podcast. Why, you ask? Well, You're about to find out, and you're about to find out in the guise of news. And it's time now for that news segment. On Footyology, Newsfeed. All right, very special edition of Newsfeed. Uh, We we are critical of other shows often here, Fanny, about being a bit self-indulgent. Well... Uh, Not for the first time, we could be about to raise the bar to another level here in self-indulgence because our news story tonight is about us. 
And uh, it is about a very important part of the Footyology podcast who, as we speak, is actually taking part in his last ever episode. And that person would be none other than Mark Fine, broadcaster, raconteur, entrepreneur, and now delicatessen owner. Now, yeah, uh, that's that's right. People reeling in shock and horror now, Finey. Please explain yourself. Well, after, and incredibly, I sort of totted this up, after a 20-plus year involvement with sports media, particularly football media, that started working for actually the AFL, afl.com.au in its very early days as an aftermatch in dressing room interviewer of players and coaches, then a couple of years of with live and kicking, some work with the footy show, some work with Channel 7's football coverage, and then on to SEN for the long stint, and of course culminating in recent years, great relationship with yourself and footyology. I am saying goodbye to football media, to media in general, and have started a new phase in my life and the family's life. We were looking for a business and we found one and it's a great deli, a great opportunity. It's in North Caulfield. It's called Lenny's Deli. So it's still going to be Lenny's Deli. It's actually going to be Lenny's Fine Food. And it's a very prominent and popular gathering point for members of the Jewish community and others besides because that food, the food here is not kosher. It's services the Jewish community, but it's that New York style of bagel and pastrami that's become widely popular, widely, not wildly, widely more popular, probably through watching shows like Seinfeld, I guess. But yeah, we're going to fully renovate the store. It's a standalone famous little corner store, a triangle on the corner of Oron Crescent and Kuyong Road. So any of the listeners that want to come down, have a chat, buy some brisket or some chicken soup, Beef, you are more than welcome. But it means, of course, the commitment required to do the program, Rowan, and we are, and I think we can stand proudly and say that we always, and I certainly did and you did in our time together in footyology, we didn't guess, we didn't pricey football matches, learn about them, reading them from internet coverage or watching highlights. We watched actual games. So to fully commit to footyology, as the name implies, to be a footyologist, you need to watch football, and I just don't have the time anymore. So our great relationship on air ceases at the end of this program, Rowan. We remain great friends, and I am absolutely delighted that the seat will be filled by a, a, a football brain, I think, as, as still as important and ticking as well as ever, and that makes him one of the best that. football brains in the country. Oh, good. Sorry. I thought you were going to give it away. Don't give it away just yet. Oh, no, not yet. Not yet. Now, I, I uh, absolutely endorse everything you've said there, and I'm absolutely supportive of your decision. It's a great opportunity. I'm looking forward to getting maybe a bit of a, a discount on a gefilte fish bagel or something that I might uh, – or is that a bit cliché? Could I actually get one of them? I don't even know. No, it's funny because that, that's – you know, we, we serve both. 
in large quantities, but not in a, you wouldn't have one in a bagel, but I'm going to make sure that you eat chopped liver. You ever had chopped liver? Uh, I don't think so, but I'm, uh, I'm, I'm pretty open to expanding my taste buds. Yeah, you'll enjoy it. The, the food is fantastic. It really is. And uh, I was going to say, too, it's clearly a very well-known establishment if you have given up um, the uh, possibility of renaming it Finey's rather than Lenny's. Well, I'd be crazy to drop the name Lenny's. I mean, 27 years, my great mate Lenny Gross, and he was a good mate of mine even before coming here, has built up a wonderful business with a great reputation and a famous chicken soup, famous far beyond the boundaries of Caulfield, I can tell you that much. So I'd be mad to drop Lenny, but Lenny's fine food, so I did get the name fine in there, Rowan. Very good, very good. I know you, you love a pun or 17. <laughs> um, now, I am, am of course, uh, very, very disappointed to be losing my great partner in crime, a great friend, a uh, great colleague, a great mentor, and uh, we have had a fantastic working relationship, but we will talk about that a little bit later and as we uh, raise the bar even higher still for self-indulgence. Um, but I want to keep this early talk from a news perspective because there's an obvious question here, Fanny. It is, what happens to footyology? Well, we have good news, folks. The good news is that Finey uh, may be departing, but footyology is here for the long haul. It will continue the product and the podcast two a week during the season as per normal. Who will be replacing Mark Fine? Well, first thing that happened when Finey told us this news was we put heads together and thought about who would be the right person to take over. And I think we both thought of this candidate pretty early in the piece. And I'm delighted to announce that he is coming aboard with great enthusiasm and will devote his usual 158% energy towards making the Footyology podcast just as good as you've been used to over the last five or six years. That man is none other than former Essendon player, former Fitzroy Adelaide coach, uh, assistant premiership coach for the Bombers and one of the most respected football brains in the business, none other than Robert Shaw. So it's out fine in Shaw as of next week and we will be kicking things off with a comprehensive season preview, looking at the prospects of each and every club next season. But uh, it's a coup, Finey, and I know that you're wrapped to be leaving the show in very, very capable hands. I cannot endorse that appointment. I'm so pleased that, you know, it's something, it's something that is very close to me, footyology, and I remain a devoted follower and will be a keen listener. I could not be more pleased that I'll be stepping aside with Robert Shaw taking my position. Look, I worked with Robert for a number of years at 1116 SEN on a Sunday program that honestly had the ear of footballers, coaches, umpires in the AFL. It was a respected look at the game, not the periphery, not the 
headlines that occurred during the week, not the sensational stories that get far more oxygen than they deserve. The simple art of kicking, marking, handballing, scoring, winning and losing is done with an absolute champion in Robert Shaw. Rowan, it's going to be great. It's going to be a great podcast because it's a, I am certain it's what football fans want. They want to hear the game discussed intelligently, not spoken down to, but they will be spoken to with the knowledge that you and Shory have at the highest level. And that's people who follow the game deserve that level of respect. Certainly footyology listeners do. Yeah, well, again, um, couldn't uh, endorse more everything you've said there about uh, our new panellist. I've been in contact with him a lot over the last few days and he is like a bull at a gate, cannot wait to get stuck into it, already putting in a lot of homework um, for this preview, big preview edition in the lead up to round one, which you'll be able to hear uh, this time next week. Uh, he's a good friend of both of ours. Uh, you've worked with him for a fair bit. I've worked for uh, with him on and off um, in several guises, uh, mostly with Essendon Football Club, as going back as far as, oh, gee, 35-odd years, I think, um, when he was uh, coaching the seconds, I think, back in 1988. But um, we have a great rapport, and I think we both... Um, see football the same way. Um, we're both very keen to talk football and analyse football. Make no mistake, this will be a podcast for the hardcore, true footy fan. Doesn't mean we won't have plenty of fun because we will. Um, it's going to be great. So uh, absolutely stay on board and uh, tell your friends too that, yes, there's no doubt Mark Fine is a big loss and I really mean that sincerely, Finey, but Robert Shaw could not have a better replacement in our shore. So look forward to that. All right. And so- you get some other insights as well. Don't forget, Shorey is the uncle of recently dispo- deposed Australian Test Captain Tim Payne. Correct. Uh, himself a great cricketer, Robert Shaw. So the off-season will be more than interesting how you handle that. But I just want to allay the fears of anybody that thinks that the program might be Essendon-centric. Because when I did the Sunday morning footy show on SEN with Robert Shaw, first of all, comprehensive and professional to the max. But I've got to say, he, he certainly did, didn't have an Essendon focus. He did not. Maybe uh, the way uh, he's been on the outer with the club in recent years might explain why. But, yeah, there's no particular affiliation, so no fears there. Well, I mean, you're talking about someone that spent four years as coach of Fitzroy, two years as coach of Adelaide, another four years as uh, general manager of football operations of Fremantle. So uh, it's not like he's only spent his considerable time in the industry at one club. So uh, you will get a very even-handed perspective, as if I might be allowed to say, I think you will from me as well. I think Shory and I have both had our... uh, Issues with the bombers at bombers at various times over the years. All right, so there's the news. This and, and don't forget. <laughs> yeah, go on. You can do. I did mention head oh, doesn't matter. Go on. Grammar. No, no, sorry, sorry. no. I'm going to give the full CV. Yeah. Don't worry. Yep, coach Brighton Grammar to three. No, just in premierships. Yeah, and which gives him insight into many of the champions that currently play the game. Correct. 
Is that it? You got anything else? Yep. Go on. Nope, that's it. Oh, you sure? That's all. Okay. Robert Shaw. Okay. I'm Robert Shaw. Yes. Okay. Uh, all right. We have got some business to attend to. Uh, curiously, as we're talking about our serious football credentials, but we could not leave this uh, in a state of flux. As you know, we've spent the off-season doing our top 20 movies and music, and uh, we got down to four to go. And, uh, yep, didn't plan it well, did we? Well, we did sort of plan it well, but unexpected developments, as you just heard, got in the way. So we're going to finish this off tonight. Number four, down to number one, our favourite movies and music. It's going to be a cavalcade of some of the best sounds and some of the best screen images you've ever seen. Let's get into it. Vinyl and video. Pressing rewind on our favourite music, movies and TV. All right, we've got a lot to get through. We are down to number four in this fantastic countdown. Number four movie of all time. Finey, I've, uh, as you know, gone very comedy heavy in my list of movies. This is the highest placed comedy in my list. And it's so good it comes in at number four as an all-time movie favourite, without a doubt the funniest movie I've ever seen. Still absolutely cracks me up every single time, even though I know virtually every line in it off by heart. I'm speaking about the Zucker brothers and Mr Abraham's co-director's effort in the 1980 film known overseas as Airplane, known in Australia as... Flying high. What a classic. Finey, how highly do you rate it? Yeah, I didn't think so at the time, but it really was a groundbreaker, wasn't it? That sort of parody spoof gag a minute take on, well, this was on disaster movies, airline disaster movies, but it was eminently quotable. I think still some of the most famous lines in comedy of all time and sure. some of the most famous scenes lately. Blowing up of the emergency pilot. Take some beating, Rowan. The jive talking sequence. The guitar playing nun. Uh, yes, the, uh, well, I mean, it is. So I'll, we, I'll leave it to every, you. It is literally a gag every 10 seconds, isn't it? In fact, there's so many, you need to go back and watch it a few times. But, um it still stays fresh, I reckon, a good 40-plus uh, years on. And uh, I never – I know I have been told this, but I can never remember why was it called Flying High here and Airplane everywhere else? I, I'm not quite sure. Were our disaster movies called Airplane or Airport? I thought they were Airport. Um, yeah, so did I. So did I. Anyway, that is my number four. Uh, in my mind, easily the funniest movie ever. Um, I do like my comedy, and I think that's about five or six that I had in my top 20. But, um, yeah, serious movies fill the first three places. But if I need a laugh, that is absolutely my go-to every time, flying high. And if you're one of the two people on the planet that haven't seen it, I would rectify that as soon as possible. Finally, surely, you, surely you can't be serious that it's number four. 
See, I did the Shawy thing before and you weren't listening, so you missed it. So, but anyway, it's your show, this one. You can do what you like. No, no, it's not. It's our show. No, no, this, this one's yours. Okay, my number four. Now, you know, Rowan, I'm a huge lover of the Coen Brothers. So to have my number one Coen Brothers movie in at number four means that I rate it pretty highly. And I go back to 1997. The Big Lebowski, the story of Jeff the Dude Lebowski, mistaken identity. I mean, the Coen brothers themselves admit that the story really doesn't add up. It's a, a chase, a spy thriller, a whodunit, a who didn't do it, et cetera, et cetera. But it perfectly, to me, encapsulates Californian laziness of the 90s, Californian excess, all done hilariously with... Jeff Bridges is the dude. Steve Bashimi is one of his offsiders. Jeff Goodman is just, John Goodman is just absolutely hilarious as Walter Sobchak. Um, he's a ex-Vietnam vet who brings that up in every conversation. He's rude, he's gruff, he's hilarious. It's a wonderful movie. It's, it's got great cameo roles. Philip Seymour Hoffman's in it. I just think it's funny and eminently watchable it's a bit quirky it's very quirky it's not to everybody's taste it wasn't a great success at the box office but by crikey it's become a cult classic ever since Rowan. well i was going to say if you're doing a compiling a list of cult favorites that'd certainly be uh in a podium finish wouldn't it because um yeah my memory is it wasn't overly successful at the box office but it's one of those films you consistently hear people rave about it at the risk of incurring your wrath. Um, I saw it a couple of years ago and I thought, I thought it was, don't get me wrong, I enjoyed it, but I maybe I'd heard too much type about it and I, I thought it was a little bit short of what I was hoping it would be. But what, why do you think it has become such a cult classic? I think because it, it does, at re-watching it, and I think cult classics are the sort of movies people watch over and over, that you do pick things up and it, it, it's a rich tapestry, which is interesting because it's actually all about a story of a rug that's gone missing. So the tapestry is key to the story, but it's a rich tapestry with many threads. And I think as you watch it, you pick up little bits and pieces that are very funny and you do warm to the main character, the dude, Jeff Lebowski. He is a real layabout, just interested in 10-pin bowling and not much else. And the world washes past him. I think we all could do with a bit of dude sometimes, Rowan. Just not care so much about so much. Who's the uh, the Jesus character at the 10-pin? Uh, oh, well, I mean, that is Jesus, Jesus Quintana, played by John Turturro. It's a very short cameo role, but he... He's, <laughs> he wears a full-body purple jumpsuit. He's a competitor in the bowling competition that is a thread that runs throughout the movie. And, um, yeah, he's, he licks his ball before he bowls it and uh, he swears a lot, but he's very funny. All right. Well, certainly worth watching. Uh, uh, you'll get plenty of laughs out of it, no doubting that. The Big Lebowski, 1997, was it, uh, Fine? Yep, 97. And directed by? The Coen Brothers. The Coen Brothers, of course, your favourites. All right, let's talk music. Number four. 
my number four song of all time. Well, uh, it's big. It's by a big Australian band off what I think is clearly their best album. This isn't one of the singles, uh, definitely an album track, probably the heaviest track on the album, but boy, does it rock and does it evoke some serious images of Outback Australia and being on the road. Let's hear a sample. You know, Rowan, I'm not surprised that you went off Broadway a little for your favourite Cold Chisel song, but it's actually a great song. And I, I wonder why it wasn't a single or wasn't picked off the album at least to uh, run as one of their run, run as one of their concert songs. I don't know if it was, but I, I, to be honest, only heard it when preparing for the show. Well, there's many uh, hits off this album and many album tracks that were played regularly on radio and talking about you got nothing I want, uh, Forever Now, uh, Bow River, um, uh, She's No Good For You. I mean, there's just that many well-known songs on this album. But for me, the centrepiece of the album is the trio of tracks in the middle of it. And that starts with Taipan, uh, a really brooding um, song, and then Hound Dog, and then Wild Colonial Boy. And uh, wow, what an explosive trio of songs that is and what an album this is. And I've talked before about this to me is the quintessential Australian album of all time. And uh, this track could very well be the quintessential Australian track because lyrically, you know, the, the heavy guitar rock uh, is evocative and Australian enough, but the lyrics, you know, talking about riding the line to Hornsby Station, um, you know, hitchhiking up the coast, Nambucca, you know, it's a roll call of, of names up that east coast of the country. Um, the cane fields, you know, it's just, uh, it's fantastic. It's Don Walker, just a genius songwriter and evoking those really resonant images of Australia. That's why I love it. That's uh, why I love Chisel. That's why I love that album particularly. So uh, make sure you have a listen in full if you haven't heard it. Hound Dog by Cole Chisel. Your number four, please, Finey. Well, uh, I am a man with a broad musical church. Is that fair to say, Rob? It is very fair to say that. Yeah, well, I'm going to one of my favourite bands of all time. So the man who brought you haunting songs in his top 20, like Hallelujah and a bit of Johnny Cash and now goes to Ramstein. So sit back, have a listen from probably their most famous album, certainly the album that produced most singles, like yours. This is not a single off the album, but it is in fact the title of the album, Sehnsucht by Ramstein. Hey. 
there you go. Of course, uh, should have counted on you coming up with a non-English um, entrant in the top 20 songs. I must say, it's silly prejudice, but I do like my lyrics in English, so maybe that takes away something for me. But they are, uh, I, I would um, I'd probably classify Ramstein as industrial metal. Would that be fair enough, Forney? Yeah, with a, with a very much Germanic historic feel in some of their songs and then other songs are just outright heavy metal thrusting sexual power power songs you know so Sainsuch actually means longing it's from an album that has the famous Du Hust which means you have Engel which means angel Tia animal book dish bend over Eifersucht jealousy and Kusmich Kiss me. That covers the full gamut, doesn't it? Pretty much, pretty much. All right. Thanks for that. Your number four, uh, Ramstein. Uh, my number four, Cold Chisel. Let's move on now to number three. And I think, uh, in the spirit of uh, footyology, the Mark Fine version, I think, uh, Damon, we might uh, stick some footy sirens in between the numbers on this countdown. Let's go to number three. All right, number three, movie. They don't come much bigger than this, folks. And we are talking massive. We're talking a, uh, uh, an empire almost of a particular genre of movies. Three instalments and the last indeed filmed 18 years after the first. All crackers, though. I don't think any of them better than the original. I'm speaking, of course, about 1972's the Godfather, from the novel by Mario Puzo, directed by Francis Ford Coppola, and a cast to kill for, pun intended, Marlon Brando, Al Pacino, James Kahn, Robert Duval, Diane Keaton, plenty of others. What a cast. What a film. What... I can't think of any more superlatives, but it is just the gangster film of all gangster films. Others have come close, but nothing is as good as this. It's just brilliant. Brilliant insight into the mafia, how it worked through the eyes of the Corleone family and younger son in particular, Michael, played brilliantly by Al Pacino. Finey. Look, every, every mafia film and, of course, the great TV series Sopranos that followed The Godfather, offers the debt of brilliance to The Godfather for setting the bar so high. So, you know, great movies like Casino, uh, as I say, Sopranos, brilliant. They're only there because of the brilliance of Godfather. Your, your superlatives that ran out could have kept going for hours, Rowan. A great movie. It is a ripper. Everyone has to say this. And uh, I guess a rare breed too in that uh, produced a sequel in The Godfather 2 that uh, is certainly very, very close to the equal of the original. In fact, some people, including among them, may I say, my late father, Keith, who was a film critic, actually thought that uh, Godfather Part Two was superior to Godfather Part One. I don't think people thought that about Part Three, which came in 1990, but still a decent film nonetheless. Um, yeah, look, there's not a lot more you can say about The Godfather I'm sure just about everyone listening to this has seen it. And if you haven't, just make sure you do because 
um, uh, episodes on the mafia and organised crime don't come better than this epic. Finally, your number three film, please. Well, when you talk English gangster movies of the modern variety, you probably think Guy Ritchie, Snatch, Lock, Stock, Two Smoking Barrels, at the uh, pinnacle of that art form, but not for mine, not even close, because in 2000, Jonathan Glazer, who was not really a movie director, more well-known as a director of movie clips for um, songs and also television advertisements, put his mind and his hand to the brilliant Sexy Beast. And Sexy Beast introduces a couple of the most menacing characters, the big screen and then small screen has ever seen. First of all, with an introduction that makes you fearful of him as his plane arrives in Spain, is amazingly the man who played Gandhi, Ben Kingsley, as Don Logan, Mr. Fixit. He's come to Spain to convince a retired gangster Gal Dove, played by Ray Winston, that there's one more job to be done. And when he tells him who's behind it, Teddy Bass, played by the menacing Ian McShane, there's no saying no. So they're, they're sort of Spanish retirement idol. He, his wife, played DD beautifully by Anna Redman. And Kevin Kendall, another retired English criminal H, their idyllic retirement is ruined by Don Logan this menacing character who will not take no for an answer, Rowan. In fact, at one point, he reels off, no, 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 no. And that's his response to Gil Dove saying that he's not going to go back to England. I'll leave the rest of the movie to people who haven't seen it, but it is brilliantly shot, brilliantly acted, wonderful cameo roles, character acting by men that if they weren't gangsters, could easily pass as gangsters. I think some of them may have been. Brilliant, brilliant movie. Well, I've got to say, I'm one of those people that hasn't seen it. Fortunately, uh, where I am right at this moment um, uh, has an extensive DVD supply, which I checked out earlier, and happy to say Sexy Beast is among the films uh, compiled. So on your... Avail yourself, Rowan, avail. I will. I will avail myself very shortly. And I actually had thought to do that even before we recorded this on your recommendation. So uh, we'll do. We'll check it out. Sexy beast. All right, let's turn our attention to number three in the music stakes. Now, another favourite of mine, another Australian band. One thing that's become obvious to me putting this list together is how much I love Australian music. And I love this band, I think, more than any other Australian band. Not typical of my fare, a bit more restrained, a bit atmospheric and melodic, um, certainly not known as, as being hard rockers, and particularly this song, because it uh, opens up uh, an album. Uh, who am I talking about? I'm talking about The Church. This song is Murr, the opening track of their 1985 album, Hey Day. Um, the album that came before their mega-selling uh, Starfish with Under the Milky Way in it. But this is a wonderful, wonderful album. And this song is just a beautiful, shimmering piece of majestic guitar, harmonies, bass, rhythm, imagery, you name it. I love it. Let's have a listen. 
Everything you said it was, it's a beautifully constructed piece of music, but you know that I cannot hear the name Murr and not think of Cartman, Eric from South Park. Oh, yeah, of course, Christian Hard Rock episode. Yeah, yeah he, he had a bet with Kyle that he could go platinum with an album, only to find out that the highest selling album in Christian Rock is Murr. <laughs> That is right. That is one of the uh, one of the very best um, South Park episodes. Christian Rock Hard, I think it is actually. Now I think about it. Of course, yeah. Cartman setting up with uh, Butters and Token, the band Faith Plus One. Um, brilliant stuff. No, look, just a beautiful song. There's a fantastic homemade video clip for it too on YouTube, worth checking out, which is full of um, beautifully shot images of the Middle East. And that, that, that is the sort of imagery that comes into my head when, whenever I hear this song, perhaps not surprisingly, given it's talking about Jericho, um, et cetera. But uh, a, a great driving song too. It's got a driving bass line. Uh, geez, they're an awesome band, still going. Uh, many lineup changes in recent years, but still going. Steve Kilby still driving uh, the church onto great heights. Um, but this is just about their high point for me, Murr from 1985. Your number three song, please, Fanny. Well, I too go Australian and unashamedly, happily include ACDC in my top three songs of all, all time. Now, I know you had an ACDC song in your top ten. My ACDC song comes from their fourth album and it was actually the last album and I think on which Mark Evans was playing bass still for ACDC, so it goes back a fair way. There were, in 1977, no harder rocking Australian band than ACDC, and this track, Let There Be Rock, proves it absolutely conclusively. Cracker, Finey, Cracker, congratulations. Fantastic selection. What a song. Uh, certainly always a highlight of Akadaka gigs done live in its full, I think, close to seven-minute glory. Um, and just the king of the riffs, 
the young brothers, uh, of course, Angus and Malcolm on lead and rhythm. Um, what a fantastic guitar sound those guys got. And uh, what a great song that is. And uh, rocking so hard for its time too, 1977. Don't forget at a time when uh, disco was taking over and I guess you had the punk revolution going on in England, but not here. And uh, those guys proudly and defiantly flying the Oz Rock flag. Um, fantastic song, Let There Be Rock. Great choice, Finey. So there are number threes in both movies and music. Well, it's getting exciting. Let's get to number two. All right, number two. And uh, boy, this is pretty close to number one for me, but just pipped at the post uh, concerning a couple of favourite subjects of mine, politics and the media. And uh, history could have made it three. What am I talking about? Talking about one of my all-time favourites, of course, it's number two on my list. Great cast, great direction, story wrote itself, great attention to detail. It is, from 1976, All the President's Men, directed by Alan J. Pakula, starring Robert Redford, Dustin Hoffman as crack reporters Woodward and Bernstein from the Washington Post. And a true story about how Watergate, uh, the uh, robbery of the Democratic Party headquarters uh, in 1972, uh, ended up triggering the downfall, a resignation and downfall of President Richard Nixon uh, two years later in 1974, after, ironically, he'd been elected in a landslide a few months after the Watergate burglary happened. But uh, just an incredible story, um, incredible, I guess, detective work by Mrs. Woodward and Bernstein, both still around and talking frequently about how they cracked the case and uh, full of famous on and off the record sources, none more famous, of course, than the man known as Deep Throat, whose meeting spot with uh, Bob Woodward was in fact in a car park. Um, but a complex story, you've got to stick with it, you've got to concentrate, but it's worth the effort. Um, a fantastic cast and uh, the attention to detail. And I remember my father telling me this story about how Alan J. Pakula was so concerned that uh, they make it realistic, that they actually sending crew members down to the offices of the Washington Post to collect their rubbish each day to use on their set. True story. And uh, does that remind you, Finey, of that line in Woody Allen's Take the Money and Run where he's uh, doing time and uh, the other prison inmates plan a breakout and they tell him his job's to steal the guard's underwear? And he said, yeah. no, hang on, if you've got their uniforms, what do you need their underwear for? And he said, the boss said he wants to make this as realistic a job as possible. Detail, detail, detail. Anyway, all the presidents, man, what a film. Very close to my number one. You a fan, Finey? Yeah, great movie. I was wondering, have you seen Frost Nixon? I haven't yet, and I should, definitely. Yeah, it's a great movie, and uh, it's a sort of a, a, as a supplementary or, or, or as an appendix to all the presidents, man. I think it's the complete watch. Yeah, great choice, Robert. All right, your number two, please. Now, I know a lot of top ten lists include this movie and sometimes I think it's put in there just to justify a person's 
uh, movie or, or let's just say cinema going IQ. But I honestly love this movie because I love the genre and I love the director and I love the main actor. And I was born as a, as a youngster, I was born to love samurai movies because I was brought up on the great TV series, The Samurai, which was a cult classic in Australia. And so when I was able to get my teeth into movies like this one, and that is The Seven Samurai, the classic 1954 Akira Kurosawa movie, I just lapped it up. It's a long movie, it goes for three hours. It stars Toshiro Mifune as Kikichiro. He is a favourite of Kurosawa in that genre and starred in Yojimbo and Sanjuro. Now, The Seven Samurai in an English version is very similar to The Magnificent Seven. It's about the collection of a ragtag group of sort of rejected, isolated, defeated, young, undisciplined samurai who for one reason or another had sort of all gone off and strayed from the main world of samurai. And these seven individuals are brought together because that's all that the desperate little village can afford. They have been attacked year in, year out by brigands who steal their crops and take their women and destroy their any hopes of prosperity. So they can only afford ragtag band of samurai. But it's a great story of camaraderie, of, of sacrifice, and together this team of seven samurai are fought in a pitched battle against the brigands that is filmed so unbelievably brilliantly, given it was 1954 by Kurosawa. It is breathtaking, the final battle scene. It's filmed in the wet with horses thundering through the village, samurai standing their ground, swords blazing, swords flashing, and it's a wonderful movie. It really is famous, rightly considered the high point of the great Kurosawa's art, art of movie making. Very uh, well explained. It's a very long movie, isn't it? Isn't it close to four hours? Oh, maybe four hours. Yeah, it is. You've got to devote an afternoon. But for me, it goes in the twinkling of an eye. The great characteristic of a, of a Kurosawa scene is that even if there's two people talking, in the background, there's always movement. May it be wind, may it be rain, may it be uh, a field of wheat sort of um, gently moving. He doesn't allow any inch of the screen to be taken up by dead, dead, by dead, by lack of movement, and that's a, a real characteristic of richness of film filmmaking. I've got to say, I'm due to watch it again. I, I saw it as a kid and absolutely loved it, but I haven't seen it since. So, uh, time for me to wheel out a uh, fairly new print of that and. Uh, give it a go again. I know uh, my old man was a massive fan of Kurosawa and that film, particularly Seven Samurai. Okay, let's talk music. The penultimate uh, in our respective top 20 songs of all time. Well, I reckon a lot of people know a thing about my musical tastes are expecting the band I'm about to nominate to be number one. And that would be wrong because it's number two. I don't think many people are going to guess my number one. I think a lot of people would guess the artist responsible for number two. In fact, I'm going to test you, Fanny. What band do you think occupies number two in my list? 
Oh, well, if it's the band I expect to be number one, then surely it's Rage Against the Machine. I mean, you turn me on to them and quite rightly say, because they're utterly brilliant, but if they're not number one, they must be number two, Roko. Well, they are, and stop calling me, surely. Uh, <laughs> it is. what It could be any number of songs, but uh, Push Comes to Shove, my favourite Rage Against the Machine song is this from the self-titled album, track five, and it is the famous Bullet in the Head. Just victims of the in-house drive-by They say jump, you say how high Yeah Just victims of the in-house drive-by They say jump, you say how high This is a song I am familiar with because you put me onto them and I didn't stop at killing in the name of. Gee, they are they are a a tornado of musical power, aren't they? And and when they get it right, which they have for a number of tracks, oh gee. The only my only regret is I've never seen them live. That is, and and you know, I've I've seen Prodigy, I've seen Ramstein, I've seen bands that I've wanted to see, but I've never seen them. And I wonder if I We'll get the chance. I think it's unlikely now. They are. I can confirm. They. Uh, I've been lucky enough to see them three times, twice at uh, two different big day outs, and once yep. at festival hall. And uh, they are everything you would expect and more. An absolute tour de force live. This song, of course, the staple of those sets. And uh, the bullet, obviously, uh, we is an allegory. Um, to TV, the brainwashing effect of TV on young, fertile minds. Uh, lyrically brilliant, as are most of their tracks. Uh, but look, don't get me wrong, I love the politics, but the main reason I love this band is the power of that music, particularly the rhythm section, just explosive. I love Tom Morello's guitar. I love the passion in Zach De La Rocca's singing. And it just all comes together so beautifully on this Absolute classic song, Bullet in the Head, my number two song of all time, Finey. Very keen to hear yours. What is it? Okay, my number two song is deeply personal, and I'm happy to share the story. Look, as you know, I'm uh, about to celebrate my 27th, uh, is it? No, 26th, 26th wedding anniversary with Natalie, who I love dearly. But there was a period during that 26 years we weren't together. We, we spent 15 months apart. And there were circumstances from both sides that were sort of tragic and sad. And you do, I don't know, I, I've always turned to music in times of happiness, times of sadness. And I listened to a lot of music when we weren't together. And this song, it just spoke to me. And of course it spoke to me because it said everything that I felt. This is The Scientist by Coldplay. Circles, 
back to the start. I've got to be honest, I don't know a lot about Coldplay. Um, you know, I don't, I know it's fashionable not to like them. I wouldn't say I, I dislike them. Um, I'm probably a bit ambivalent about them. Interesting thing about the clip for this, it was like a reverse um, Verve Bittersweet Symphony. Instead of walking forward through the streets, he's walking backwards, I noticed. But um, what is the meaning of this song, Finding? Why, what exactly is it about it that you found so, uh, um, I guess, appropriate to your circumstances? Well, I mean, it's, it's, it's the whole story about a relationship gone wrong and it's about asking, can we go back to the start? You know, take me back to the... I'm not going to say take me back to the start, but it, um, it, it, he says in the song, you know, that I, I knew things wouldn't be easy, but I just didn't realise things could be so hard. And at that point, that's exactly where my life was, you know, that I knew marriage wasn't easy, that you had to work on it, but it had become impossible. Well, not impossible because we sorted it out, but it, it, I tell you, I cannot listen to that song in full without crying. Now, I know... And these are deeply emotional tears for me. So even now, it, it brings me to to a, a, a happy sadness it, it, because it resolves because of the resolution. Because he begs it in the film clip, it's about a, a car crash, and he asks to go back to the start, take me back to the start, and that's what I wanted with with my marriage. You know, I had kids and things had gone wrong, but you just, you know, we we both still cared for each other and, and that was enough of a, a reason to make things work and it's been, I've got to say post that which was about seven years ago things have been fantastic really really good together so it cleared up these issues and we we're able to make a better life for ourselves so it's an important song to me and you know I know a lot of people don't like Coldplay but if you look at YouTube at their film clip Rowan you know underneath it has the number of views yeah have you seen the number of views for it no, how many? One B. Yeah. Yeah. What's a billion? Yeah, it is. We're talking Gangnam style type numbers. Yeah, and this was not a number one hit. So this is a song that must resonate with people because it's been viewed a billion times. All right. Well, speaking of number one hits, uh, they may not have been commercial number one hits. In fact, I know that uh, neither of those songs were, but they are our number ones. And our number one movies. Let's get to the punchline. All right, close thing, but number one film for me, uh, genius stuff, genius. Um, I think I was a young adult when I saw this for the first time. Hadn't heard much about it. And it's a curious um, thing about this film, which I'll, I'll talk about shortly. But this is just a wonderful, wonderful political thriller so far ahead of its time, it's not funny. It's from 1962, directed by John Frankenheimer and a film which has been uh, remade in the 21st century and remade pretty well too, but the original still very much the best. The film, The Manchurian Candidate. Finally, just an incredible piece of filmmaking, shot in black and white, um, starring Frank Sinatra, who's really, really good in his role, and uh, Lawrence Harvey, uh, an English actor who is also brilliant as the lead character. 
it is a psychological political thriller about the Cold War and sleeper agents. Um, the plot centres on a Korean War veteran, part of a prominent political family who is brainwashed by communists after his army platoon is captured. He returns to civilian life where he becomes an unwitting assassin in an international communist conspiracy, which uh, Sinatra in his role tries to foil. There's a brilliantly evil mother of that war hero, Raymond Shaw, uh, just one of the all time great performances from Angela Lansbury. Yes, this is in a way you have never dreamed of seeing her before. Janet Lee's in this film as well. It is such a great film. Um, interestingly, released in late 1962, didn't do that well at the box office. There is a bit of a, uh, a popular myth, which I believe for a long time myself too, that um, part of the reason for its lack of commercial success was tied up with the JFK assassination in November the 1963 and a story that Sinatra had indeed purchased, I think, the distribution rights to prevent it being shown because it was such uh, so close to home, the subject matter, given the uh, assassination of JFK, but actually not the case. Uh, and it's a film that gained credibility the longer and popularity and respect the, the longer time went on. Um, I just think it is brilliant uh, and it is just... It's so futuristic, despite the fact it's 1962. Um, it's basically about the Korean War. It's it's shot in black and white, and yet it has this incredible futuristic feel. In that respect, I think um, the shooting techniques and the direction, a bit like Citizen Kane, uh, it just feels like you're not watching a film from that era, but something very contemporary. And like I said, the acting performances are brilliant. It's just a wonderful, wonderful film. The Manchurian Candidate from 1962. I haven't asked you what you think about this film, Fawny. I saw it a long time ago, Rowan. I just remember it as a very powerful thriller, a really top movie of its time. But I would have—I'm thinking—I'm talking 25, 30 years ago. It's a long time ago, isn't it, to have not seen a movie, but of that quality. So it makes me want to go and see it again, actually. It is a terrific film. All right, your number one, please. 1964. The movie that might have been a comedy, but had the world worried. Dr. Strangelove or How I Learned to Stop Worrying and Love the Bomb. The brilliant Stanley Kubrick-directed film, the take on what would happen if communications broke down between the US and the USSR and a rogue member of either army, This, in this case, a insane general by the name of Jack D. Ripper, able to foil all the fail-safes and send a nuclear bomb into Russia to end the world. It's a tour de force by Peter Sellers, who plays the role of uh, Lionel Mandrake, an English captain assigned to work alongside Jack D. Ripper. He plays the president and of course he play of the US and he also plays Dr. Strangelove who appears late in the movie, a cast off from the Nazi party, a mad German doctor with plans for life after a nuclear attack. He was gonna play the fourth character, Captain Kong, who rides the nuclear bomb from his aircraft into Russia, but 
the workload was too much. So that role went to Slim Pickens, who played it brilliantly. George C. Scott is hilarious, outstanding as General Buck Turgidson. This is a movie of the highest order in terms of comedy. I mean, really brilliant comedy. Some of it dark, some of it in your face, obvious. But it's also great for detail, so much so that Stanley Kubrick was interviewed at length by the CIA following its release as to how he knew the inner workings of a US armed nuclear aeroplane so well. He said it all just was logical to him. He had no inside info. Nobody believes that because apparently the inside of these aeroplanes was faithfully recreated by Kubrick. So who knows? I think we know the answer. Interesting fact about the movie, Rowan. The movie uh, released in 1964, um, uh, when it was actually supposed to be released was 1963. On what weekend? On the weekend John F. Kennedy was shot. So they held it back a year. There's a line in the movie where Major Kong flying that aeroplane about to drop the bomb has a pack for an emergency pack for all the crew members. It includes some rubles, a Bible, condoms, packet of chewing gum. And he says, a guy could have a pretty good time with this in, and it's dubbed over. I think they say uh, uh, St. Louis or somewhere. The original line is Dallas, and that is removed oh, really? from the, yeah, it's been removed from the movie. There you go. Yeah. Um, I've got to say, uh, embarrassingly, I don't think I've seen this film. Oh, Rowan. It's, people watch that movie and generally after the movie, uh, many, many millions of people feared for their lives because of how simple it was in that movie to portray what could go wrong. You know what? The timing of our announcement of number one, given what's happening tragically in Europe at the moment with Russia invading the Ukraine and Putin being so unpredictable, unreliable and even mentioning nuclear weapons, it again takes us to a level of brinkmanship because this is what this movie is about. It's about brinkmanship gone awry that makes you wonder, is it possible, Roman? Is it possible? Well, certainly uh, at a level we haven't seen for some time. So, uh, yeah, perhaps you mentioning that is timely as well. Certainly uh, now got it on the list. And don't get me wrong, it's one of those films I've always heard about. I just never quite got around to seeing. I will rectify that soon. All right, number one song time. As I said, I might have uh, uh, taken a bit of uh, air out of the tyres for people. Uh, no, it's not Rage Against the Machine. That was number two. Number one, though, I'm very proud to announce is another Australian band. Now, this band, I like them. I wouldn't say they were necessarily one of my favourite few Australian bands, although I did like them and I've got, I think, three of their albums. But they were absolutely a very important band historically in this country and in world music terms for the genre of rock music they pursued. And this song to me is almost the perfect rock song, rock slash punk song. It's three and a half minutes or so. It is searing guitar. It is snarling vocals. It has the requisite anti-establishment message. And uh, it has the absolutely inspired addition 
of brass. Who would have thought of adding brass to a punk song? Well, this is a song in which it works absolutely perfectly. I love everything about this song. It is from 1978. It is by the Saints and it is Know Your Product. anybody who had any music cred of our age in the 80s wasn't being led by the nose by top 40 charts or by countdown they were getting to, to pubs to see the saints and i think know your product was a standout a standout number for real live music australian music fans and live music fans who found 
I, I, I believe, found sort of an independent sound far more preferable to bubblegum garbage that you hear on the radio. It was the alternative that was the absolute music lover's choice. Should have been, uh, should have been a bigger hit. I've got to tell a quick um, uh, self-deprecating story too. I think it was the early 90s. Chris Bailey, of course, the lead singer, doing some solo stuff played a gig at the Continental Cafe in Paran in uh, Greville Street. Good little venue. Uh, I went along with my sister, I think. Uh, might have been a couple of family members and we all had a uh, jolly evening and I may have imbibed a little bit too much. And uh, Chris Bailey's doing his gig and all I could do for the entire set was yell out, no, your product, no, your product. Oh, God. Finally got sick of it. And uh, the band started to strike up Know Your Product and he thrust the microphone into my hand for my big moment, Finey. And what happened? I completely and utterly forgot the lyrics and very embarrassedly thrust the microphone back into his rightful hand. Oh, Rowan. I know. I know. I know. The only story equal to that is a couple of years ago when I went to a gig by the Bronx at the corner the singer Mike came down into the uh, the the floor in the middle of a song. I made him stop for a moment in the middle of a song so I could do a selfie with him. And then as I fiddled around with the camera, realised that I, I had my phone around the wrong way and then asked him to stop and do it again, at which his response was, come on, man, really? Um, anyway, there you go. My number one song, Know Your Product. All right, Fonny, what's your number one? Okay, my number one song is a song I think familiar to probably just about all of our listeners if they are into music. I'll throw to it. It kicks off. Its opening riff is unforgettable, immediately identifiable. It is Joy Division's Love Will Tear Us Apart.
great song, great choice, Finey, and uh, a really haunting song for obvious reasons, and that, of course, is the uh, very premature death um, by suicide of Ian Curtis, just 23 years old, the lead singer of Joy Division, when um, he uh, checked out on life and uh, just such a, a wasted talent. Uh, pretty amazing band, Joy Division. Uh, I do have a, a couple of best ofs, which uh, for a band that didn't produce that much, pretty chock full of quality. Um, just look, he, he uh, lived a life against the odds, really, Curtis. He had, um, he had uh, mental health and physical health issues with which he dealt, which caused him a lot of grief. Uh, obviously, um, and uh, this song released only about a month after he took his own life, so always quite haunting when it was played, when it was released initially. Great keyboards. I love the keyboard sound in, in this too, and a very sparse sort of production, but that sort of adds to the atmosphere of it as well, and, of course, the lyrics, given um, the circumstances, even more poignant. So, um, yeah. Definitely a, a great song and uh, a great band. And who knows how great they could have been had uh, their lead singer hung around for a bit longer. Finey, very good choice. Well, we're getting insight into how great they could have been because, of course, without Ian Curtis, they became New Order. And New Order led the Manchester Sound, Blue Monday, a dedication to Ian Curtis and their success resonates to this very day. Look, sometimes you get caught up a little bit in the death of young potential stars. You know, may it have been a, a James Dean or Marilyn Monroe, and you wonder whether or not the fame and greatness is somehow built up because of what could have been achieved rather than what was achieved. But taking this song in isolation without the suicide of Ian Curtis, it marries up his deep meaningful poetic lyrics because he wrote poetry with the yet to be discovered but would later be obvious through New Order musical very catchy powerful musical talent of the rest of the band so it was sort of a where waters lacked what isn't it where you get deep powerful lyrics and you also get immediately memorable and, and danceable and, and enjoyable music as well it's it to me that's a song at its best yep well put uh terrific uh, song terrific choice and uh terrific segment have really enjoyed doing this that is the end of our favorite 20 uh songs and movies of all time uh let's hear that uh, hey rowan just quickly if you do of this course. segment next year with robert you know 17 of the 20 songs are going to be by the angels Oh, is that right? Oh, well, that's, a, that's absolutely fine with me. I could do an Angels Top 20 myself. He loves them. I'll have to touch base with him on that. All right, let's, uh, let's finish off this Top 20 with, uh, just for old time's sake, a final siren. Well, that's about it for this week. And um, sad to say, that's about it forever for Finey. Um, my sparring partner. I'm going to get all emotional now, but uh, couldn't finish off this show without, uh, well, um, paying appropriate kudos 
to my co-host. Uh, he's been a great support for me. Um, he's shown enormous patience in putting up with me. I'm not the easiest person in the world to get on with. I'm a pretty hard taskmaster. Uh, I can get pretty cranky when things don't go according to plan. Um, and uh, let's be honest, I can be a complete pain in the ass. And he, by and large, has copped that. And he's certainly uh, stood up to me when I've uh, taken a step too far. And I've appreciated that as well. Mostly, though, I've appreciated his incredible store of knowledge, not just about football, but just about anything you care to name. One of the uh, smartest people I've ever met, to be perfectly honest. I, I don't think I know anyone who knows as much about such a wide range of, of topics. It's quite incredible. Uh, doesn't mean he doesn't come without his quirks, however, and uh, they have uh, occasionally caused the odd kerfuffle and uh, occasionally given us a laugh or two and what am I talking about? Well, you know, Finey can have trouble answering his phone. He can have trouble being punctual. can have trouble sitting still. He can, which is a big problem when there's a camera on, can have trouble not playing with his equipment. Um, but uh, you take the uh, quirky with the good and uh, most of all, has been exceptionally good though. Our, our producer, Finey, you've been spared our wonder producer, Damon Jackman, refused to put together a bloopers package, he said, because he thought too highly of you. My version of events is that we didn't have three hours spare. <laughs> um, so we'll just play a token blooper. Uh, this one from a couple of weeks ago when Finey, uh, as always, finding inventive places in which to record the podcast uh, actually decided to do this one in the uh, grounds of uh, Lenny's Fine Foods. Um, went outside, uh, had a little bit of trouble with uh, some insects, and uh, let's see what happened. All right, stop. Hey, listen, mate, the noise is just... Yeah, I'm, I'm moving, and I've, okay. been bitten, I've been bitten alive. All right. It's a joke. Oh, my God. I'm in agony. Dirty bites on me. I'll go to my car. Best place to do it. Oh my God, I'm covered in bites. I do get bitten easily. Oh, it's terrible. I hate mozzies. Oh dear. Yep. All right. Um, okay. I just want to say, I've got some fly spray. Hang on, let me spray. Okay, go for it. All right. Three, <laughs> three, three two, one. Uh, no, there's, there's more noise. <laughs> itching left, right, and centre. I know. So, right. so if you're itching, mate, you get you're making noise. Like, all right, sorry. Okay, let's go. Three, two, one. Yep, hole in one, Rowan. Well done, Damon. I mean, that is me. I am distracted. I am easily distracted. I do move around a lot. I do swap flies that are imaginary. This time they're real mosquitoes, but yeah, that would be me. Probably kiboshed any hope I had of ever being on TV, my fidgetiness. Look, I'll say, I'll, I'll, okay, let's get down to Tim Tax. First of all, uh, we've had some great supporters while I've been on air. Andrew's Hamburgers for a number of years. Um, Nick Spartel's great supporter of ours. Channel 31 gave us a great chance back in the day, Rowan. It 
It was great fun working there at Channel 31 and putting the show together. Uh, Palmer Bet of recent times, the great supporter. And I've probably left out a couple. I know we had some towels there at one stage. Look, the greatest thing about doing this program was working with somebody who I had read and admired and knew as a absolutely serious and credible football counter, you know, counterpart and a voice. And, and to work with Rowan Connolly, I'll tell you, you know, I, my background coming from radio was pretty freeform, but yours as the lead football writer for the age was reaching the pinnacle, I think, in this town. I, I think you wrote, and I'm not saying this, you know, it's, it's not a, it's not a backslapping competition here, but really you wrote brilliantly and, and we're up the top of your art and unfortunately newspapers have suffered in recent years, but you brought all of that knowledge and to be able to sit there, look, this is the greatest thing about doing it with you for seven years, Rowan. I did not ever have to think hold back on any football thought, may it be current or most importantly historical, because I think framing things in football history is something that we had over the rest of the field because they simply couldn't do it. And it's important. It's important to frame things, not only in the present, but as the bigger picture is this game's been going for for over a hundred years, the top level. And, and we are lucky to be able to talk about it now, but we can't forget the past and working with you, I couldn't really work seven years with anybody else because I, I, I would have had to check myself so many times and we didn't have to do it. We were able to recall moments that reminded us of the present situations that were similar to ones that teams are going through now in various guises. And that was, to me, the beauty of working with you. It'll be the beauty of you working with Robert because that will continue on. And you know what, Rowan, we've said it. I, I think we've been fairly modest along the way. We've had a few shots at younger journos. Let's just hope that they have as much of a love of football that we have, that they immerse themselves not only in what's happening today and tomorrow, but yesterday as well, because that is the strength of footyology, and that's what makes working with you brilliant. It's been an absolute honour. And finally, how about our listeners? I mean, to me, I'm humbled when anybody comes up and, and mentions anything to do with my career, but the number of people that have come up and said they've loved footyology, um, to those, I don't apologise that I'm leaving because it's a new phase in my life, but I thank you from the bottom of my heart that you've taken the time out to listen to us. I mean, we talk into the, we talk into the ether. We don't know who's listening. We don't see the audience. We don't know the audience, but the numbers are there, and God bless each and every one of you because what we say means nothing without ears. Thank you so much. Brilliantly put, brilliantly put. And uh, boy, I actually am going to tear up, I think. Uh, look, it's, uh, I really I can't thank you enough for what you just said. It's, uh, I love working with you. And I, I think, you know. Um, we, we didn't have that many crosswords. I mean, we had some moments maybe off air and, and sometimes to do with, with, you know, both of our quirk, both of our natures sometimes won out, but. Gee, we did a lot of work together, Rowan, and pretty seamless, I would say. I think we got on pretty – we're good mates. There's no there's no problem there. I think we had uh, two or three blues along the whole journey and uh, and they were sorted pretty quickly because uh, we had a 
a common goal. But I, you know, I think yeah. most importantly, we we just had enormous fun doing it. And uh, look, don't worry, listeners, that uh, sense of fun won't be lost either as footyology goes on. And uh, as Fanny said, and uh, obviously I endorse. Um, the show is going to go from strength to strength. It'll be a different show, but boy, we're in good hands with Robert Shaw um, as co-host to myself from next Wednesday. Make sure you tune in for uh, You know what's great about that? We don't have to go back to your feats at full forward or, you know, we've actually, you've actually got a senior AFL coach, a, a career cut short, but a brilliant footballer and cricketer. Gee, we were plucking at straws sometimes, <laughs> recalling our own sporting history, weren't we? Well, I'm pretty confident if I pump my tyres up, he'll deflate them very quickly. <laughs> He's pretty good at doing that, Shuri, if you are listening. Um, look, thanks, everyone. Uh, as we say every week, uh, you can support this podcast at the ACAST supporter page wherever you listen to us or become an official Footyology patron at one of the many links provided at footyology.com.au. And the website, of course, is continuing and going from strength to strength as well. So stay tuned. Next Wednesday, a new look, Footyology, myself and Robert Shaw, previewing the prospects of each of the 18 AFL clubs. And uh, once again, um, on behalf of our audience this time, thank you very much, Fanny. You're a, uh, a national treasure. And uh, everyone, make sure you pop down to Lenny's Fine Foods and get yourself a bagel served by none other than the famous Mark Fine. We'll see you later.